conscious whatevering is not about it working on an other. It's about self-control. It's about working on you. It's not about working on another. It's about working on you. And the natural consequence of you working on you is that the people around you, the people, especially the people that you care for, will learn and grow from, will learn the skills that you're practicing, that you're modeling. And you need the skills to teach the skills. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Welcome back, parents, to the Sensory Wise Solutions podcast for parents. Today, I have another interview episode for you with Mr. Chaz Lewis. He is amazing. If you aren't following him already, you need to be following him. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a therapist, if you work with kids, all of it. Mr. Chaz's mission is to help adults truly see, guide, and trust children. He's pushing the needle a little closer toward world peace. He goes by Mr. Chaz, and he even has a song to prove it. He's been a teacher of teachers and parents for a decade, and he's worked with many schools, thousands of teachers, and thousands of children. He's trained thousands of teachers in person and virtually, And you can be part of his community on Patreon. You can listen to his podcast. I have all links linked in the show notes below. Please enjoy this episode. We're going to talk all about what conscious discipline really is and how it might look when you have a neurodivergent child. All right. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have this very special guest finally on my podcast because I have spoken to him twice now on his podcast, which were both amazing opportunities and really fun. And I, I'm just excited to finally invite you and have you here. So thank you, Mr. Chaz. Thank you for being here. We have a really good topic for today, which I will introduce in a second, but I don't want to put this off any longer. I want to let you introduce yourself and who you are and the amazing things that you do for this world. Yes. So um, the short version is my name is Mr. Chaz. Um, I uh, was previously a Montessori teacher and educational specialist who um, was in charge of 10 different schools. And my role was to teach teachers to teach a way that I kind of joke about how what my role was is I was like the Olivia Pope of classrooms. I Whenever. heard that on a podcast and I loved that because <laughs> I love Olivia Pope and you're, aren't you in DC? Yeah, so I actually recently (laughs) just moved from D.C., but yes. That's the perfect way to describe what you do. I love it. Yes, more specifically Northern Virginia, but yes. Um, And and, and really what my role there, my role was a lot of things as is in early childhood, but 
my job description was to support teachers in and out of the classroom. But in reality, I was supporting teachers in and out of the classroom. I was supporting directors. I was able to even uh, support a little bit on the corporate level. And so I was also able to see how all those things from the owner of the company transferred all the way down to the teacher and the child's, the children in the classroom. Um, so that's that's a little bit about kind of my background. The pandemic happened. I um, saw how a lot of parents were struggling with this new challenge. And I felt that all of the insight that I had gained in my journey um, would be helpful for parents. So I started to create TikTok videos. And my thought process was if I can make short videos that are, you know, enjoyable to consume, but also you feel like you gain something at the end of it, then that can make a pretty big impact and help a lot of people. And I was right and it happened. And so it blew up on TikTok, on Instagram, Facebook, and it turned into the podcast that is like really powerful called Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. I also do one-on-one coaching and also got some other big things planned that I'm not going to spill the beans on. I'm so excited to hear whatever this is. world. (laughs) <laughs> uh, seriously look out world and what you just said that you you what you set out to accomplish to make a little bit of a change in the world you've made a humongous difference i you are always like in my top three of like when a parent comes to me i need help whether it's a parent of a neurodivergent child neurotypical i just love how you present the information in a way that's um applicable to everybody but what i super love about your account is how you've been able to cultivate like a really strong community, especially on Instagram, which is where I follow you the most. It's really hard to do in that kind of forum. Like it's a very, it's not really friendly to like uh, back and forth communication, but you do such a good job of showing like all the sides, representing everybody through your stories, through posts, through the comments. And anyone who's listening, just so you know, it's really tedious to screenshot and share and erase all of the things. So I always think of that. And I'm like, how does he share so much of the good stuff and go through all the DMs? Like you spend so much time and are very thoughtful in the sides that you show. And that's a really hard thing to do with such a big platform. And it goes, I think the other thing that I like about your account is that while you do share about how we can support and understand children's social and emotional development you do it in a way that feels a lot less overwhelming than a lot of parenting accounts even mine included because ours are very like heavy on information and milestones and research and things that parents we want them to know and what they can do but yours i I feel like does a really good job at showing us like the perspective of what's underneath a child's behavior but then it goes further and like you turn the tables and like make it about us which is sometimes really (laughs) uncomfortable but so necessary i have to like mentally prepare myself when i like open a post because i'm like i know he's gonna make me ask questions about my childhood and why i'm like (laughs) the way i am but it always applies and it's like like the my, I, I think like if you see my most recent emojis when I'm like commenting on on your post, it's always the mind blown emoji. Like you do such a good job of all that. So thank you for being here and thank you for doing what you do and taking all the time to to change the world. Oh uh, well, thank you. And too, like as is everything, like it, you know, running the account is something that I am improving. It's something an area where I'm improving on an area of kind of 
growth because when I first started Instagram, like I really didn't know what to do with Instagram stories or Instagram lives. And to be honest, those are relatively, I think I've been doing stories for a while now and they've kind of, they've grown to the point to where I'm having these kind of really robust discussions and kind of sharing a variety of perspectives. Um, and that's kind of, you know, my goal, like, and I love that. I thank you for highlighting that because it is, it is a lot of work, but, and I haven't talked to really anyone else about this, um, about kind of how I'm running my account. Um, but I really see it as like my account, my page is a classroom. Right. And I'm just another teacher in the classroom. And there's a bunch of different teachers on Instagram. And my my by post, my like feed post, which you'll, you know, you're scrolling and on your feed, you see a post. That's like almost kind of like an invitation into the classroom. It is, you know, usually a big idea that I'm kind of introducing in a relatively short period of time and kind of introducing this big idea with hopefully some kind of practical tools and tips and you know, I, I really do think it's important to, to, to not just share the, the, hey, this is what you should do, but like, hey, this is how you should think about it, because really what you can do, there's likely a hundred different ways to say a script or to, or to, to do the thing, mm-hmm. but if you don't know why you're doing the thing, one, it's going to be hard for you to be flexible in the moment when the child doesn't follow the script. Yep. Uh, and then two, it is, it, it helps, it's really regulating for us to actually understand what's happening on the other side. Because a lot of times our frustration, our dysregulation and our, you know, reactions come from our, you know, our misunderstanding, our inability to, or us just not understanding what is going on in this other person's experience. Um, And because we're triggered, we are less likely to see, to do perspective taking and to see the other person's experience. Um, And so all that is, 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 is difficult. And with my account with that, that's, there's the post there. And then hopefully that invites you into the stories where we have the larger conversation, where we dive deeper into the nuance and how this fits into, you know, a variety of perspectives in their lives, right? When I had the conversation with um, Fidgets and Fries and Night Functioning um, Autism, um, you know, there are a lot of, before the conversation, there are a lot of very, very strong opinions um, strong perspectives. And, you know, some people came back after we had the conversation and, you know, after they shared their perspective as black autistic moms with, uh, uh, black autistic children, you know, people came back and like, I thought like I understood, like, I thought that I, as a, as a mom of an autistic child, I thought that I understood all of this. I read all the books and I felt like I had a grasp on and and and, and my opinion was the right one. <laughs> you know, and hearing the perspective has kind of opened my mind and helped me kind of see it in a different light or see more parts of the conversation than what I was seeing. And you know, that is what is 
you know, I think that's what uh, is probably one of the most life impactful things about my account is that it's, it's, it's not necessarily just the information that I'm providing to help you with your, you know, parenting or teaching in the classroom, but it is how people get to hear mm-hmm. from such a variety of perspectives different from their own and give them an opportunity to kind of empathize because I think that is the foundation or part of the foundation of what world peace needs to be built on. Uh, I agree that I think a huge part of it, just like the initial hearing someone else's experience different than ours, I think our initial like knee jerk reaction is to like, like separate that from us or be like, well, that's not what I experienced. And I think since 2020, like with everything that's happened, if we've learned anything and something that I've been learning about is just that like to really honor people's Mm -hmm. experience of, of something that happened and not try to be like, well, that's not what happened. It's like, this is how this person experienced it. It was traumatic to them, or this is what happened. And really just, not only just being like, okay, I hear you, I hear you, but really like, then like taking that in and like that perspective and having that viewpoint, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Which, which, which- It is, it's hard. Even get into this conscious discipline conversation that we're having about like, you know, the ability to, the, the practice of being able to sit in our emotions and our feelings and and sit and acknowledge them and be aware of them without trying to discard them or, or run away from it. Like, yeah. ooh, like that's, I read that and that triggered some feelings in me. Let me pay attention to that and like see, figure out where, where this is coming from and kind of what that is telling me as opposed to, Oh no, that's that's wrong. As opposed to getting defensive and reactive, which is what we have a tendency to do in these conversations when we're talking to each other, and was we have a tendency to do with children, what we have a tendency to do in, in really in 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 almost in pretty much every part of in every system and every conversation and every community, we just have a tendency to react and not. And, and not sit in our feelings. And why is that? And why is that? Why is it so hard for us to sit in our feelings, acknowledge our feelings, work through them, breathe, regulate our emotions so we can hear the other person? Why is that so hard? Because that it goes counter to the messages that most of us received growing up. You know, most of us heard, you're fine, get over, stop crying. You know, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. It's a really popular one in in schools, right? And so we grow up, you know, just not honoring our feelings, either running, you know, we either run away from our feelings, which is, which, which is, you know, the consequences of that is when we run away from our feelings, see, this is where we go to the adults and we'll, we'll bring it back to the kids. I promise we'll bring it back to the kids. But we, when we run away from our feelings, when, you know, let's say uh, uh, in a relationship, right? Um, someone does, our partner does something that triggers us. Uh, and it could be not loading the dishes or it could be something that they said, or it could be, them helping you, or it could be them not helping you, it could be them helping you, right? Whatever it is, right? Lots of things can trigger us. And it's not wrong to be triggered and to have those feelings, like on the contrary, like it's part of the human experience. And because most of us, 
kind of learn to run away from our feelings is or push them down or put them on other people instead of sitting in them what happens is we will we will we'll hold it down and then we you know we won't say anything and then then we'll do kind of the passive aggressive comments right and time will go by days months, maybe even years ago by you not acknowledging this thing. And then at some point your partner's like, what is up with you? Like, what's with this passive aggressive behavior? Like what's going on? And what do we say? Nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel personally wrong. attacked right now. Mr. Yeah. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and even in our tone, like, you can, yeah, nothing. Right. And it's just because, and that's not, you know, it's not, it's not to say that you're bad. Like that is conditioning in our body. Right. That's not even, you know, I talk a lot about the brain, but like really to just simplify everything that I'm talking about, because really the brain and the body, they're, they're, they're connected. They're, they're, you know, they're, you can't really separate the brain and the body because they're constantly talking to each other. So it is in your body to, to have that reaction. It's because that's the way that you were treated. So now that's how you treat yourself. You dismiss your own feelings, right? Um, and children have a tendency to treat themselves as when they grow older, they treat themselves the way that they were treated. Um, and so that doesn't set us up, that doesn't set us up for healthy relationships, Right. Or the other thing that we do is we, we, we blame. Right. I feel uncomfortable for this. And then we, we because I feel this discomfort in me, I need to put on someone else. That is what blame is. It's like, no, but he did. And we see with kids all the time. Right. Trying to, you know, yep. discharge their discomfort by, you know, blaming someone else. Um, and so all that saying that it is so important for us to practice the skill of being aware of our feelings, being being aware of our triggers, acknowledging them, breathing, recognizing that we have a choice in what we do in this moment, you know, using mantras so that we can kind of replace those unhealthy messages that are replaying in the back of our mind with healthier messages. so yeah, this is really important stuff for everyone, but it very much applies to children. And last note on this, part of why we struggle, part of why we struggle so much with our kids' reactions is because it doesn't have, it's not always, it doesn't necessarily have to do with them, right? A lot of times it's, it's they're pushing our trigger button. We have a trigger, that's our trigger, right? I said, I said, it's normal to have a trigger as part of the human experience, but recognize those triggers are our triggers. They're just pushing the button, right? Yeah. But really that's the reason why that is our button. That's such a button when, you know, you hear your child, you know, a child cry, you know, and maybe you have sensory challenges yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But and a lot of, but a, a lot of times it is because the, how you were treated when you had those same behaviors as a child, right? When you cried, they were always dismissed and you're fine, get over it or shamed or whatever. And so now that is what, what our tendency to, to do. That is our gender, our unhealthy pattern that we have a tendency to pass. So for me as a mom who has anxiety, 
yes, my daughter's sensory stuff triggers my anxiety. And that's my neurodivergent brain being differently, like my fight or flight is going off. And then my own journey with therapy, when my therapist talks to me and digs deep, I'm like, oh, that applies to my daughter. So I get that. So, but there's a lot of neurotypical parents out there who may not have anxiety or is not triggered by something in the moment, but who they are parenting a neurodivergent child. So Mm. understanding a brain that's different from theirs Mm. is really hard. And so in my account and what I do is I educate about how the brain develops in neurodivergent kids and why it's different, but that doesn't help with like building the empathy and compassion. Even if I explain it, it's still really hard to be like, oh yeah, when I was little, I blah, 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 because they might be different from how their child's brain is wired. So that that's what started this whole discussion on my Instagram, which by the way, I would love if you could clarify, like if gentle discipline is the same as conscious discipline. I know we kind of all kind of interchangeably use that. So I would love clarification on that. But this topic came up because a lot of parents see me talk about this concept, which I admittedly I'm not fully educated on from like a like a textbook perspective. I didn't take a course. I just take a lot of information from you, from Dr. Becky, from everyone on Instagram, where a lot of parents getting our information from. So I feel like I understand it and I take that approach. Um, But a lot of parents are wondering, like, it's really, really, really hard to do with a neurodivergent kid who maybe is not speaking or just has such more intense reaction to things that we can't, that, that parents who don't have like a therapist lens, who can't completely understand where they're coming from. So I would love first just to go back then if you could clarify the definition of conscious discipline and if it's similar or different from all those other terms that we use, gentle discipline, positive. So um, yeah, this is actually a really good question. Um, I, I, I will also kind of even use all of them interchangeably just because like that's just what, for the most part, we're all kind of talking about the same thing. Right. Um, you know, but I will say that, you know, and I'm not a big fan of labels in general. Like in, in general, like I'm pretty hesitant when it comes to labeling anything. Like I tend to toward like lean towards like not label. Let's just describe what the thing is. Okay. Um, and then talk about what that thing is instead of just assigning a label to it because okay. then it can be confusing. Yeah. Um, now that all that being said, labels can also be helpful, can also be helpful in, in terms of understanding things at the same time. So right. where I, I say that conscious is a better description than gentle because gentle doesn't really, I feel like gentle doesn't really get at the root of what we're trying to do. I almost feel like gentle is maybe a term used to kind of counter a different movement of like, maybe like spanking and punitive. Or punitive, yeah. Right. And so like, and so maybe that's kind of where like the word gentle comes from is almost kind of like a, as as like a counter thing. And Mm -hmm. And, and I'm a, like, anytime you want to start a movement, like I think more, what are you pro, what are you trying to do? It should kind of be more of a focus than like, hey, just not do that. Um, right. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of just like, hey, tell children what to do instead of exactly. what Exactly. Come with a solution. Yes. Right, right. And so conscious, I think is kind of the best description of all kind of the descriptions, even, even with respectful, I think conscious is, is, closest um because even 
with respect to like people, again, that label respectful, that term is just so loaded with so many different kind of definitions and sure. conscious is really awareness. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that is the center of what conscious discipline is centered around and conscious parenting too. Now, conscious discipline specifically is a program, is a trauma responsive program that's 25 years old, created by Dr. Becky Bailey. Okay. Now there's also a, um, someone who wrote, uh, this is really popular, wrote a lot of really great conscious books. Her name's Dr. Shafali, and she does like, she has a conscious parenting book, The Awakened Parent, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's a little, that's not necessarily conscious discipline, but those things are aligned. Those, they're both, I would describe both of Dr. Shafali's work and Dr. Becky Bailey as conscious, okay. but conscious discipline refers to a, a specific program um, that is in um, a lot of school that's that's growing, I will say. I would love and, if it was in every school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's growing and not even just in the States, it's growing in other co- countries as well, but is a trauma responsive uh, social, uh, social, emotional, um, uh, centered program. Okay. And so that is, that is kind of more of the definition of a conscious discipline. Now, what is conscious discipline? I'm kind of like, what is it, what does it do? And, um, it's funny, we play a game, like, uh, uh, the last conscious discipline conference, like, okay, give you like your little elevator pitch of like someone asked you what conscious discipline is. Yeah. So I'm going to attempt to do that in under a minute. Um, okay. I wish I had like a visual timer, but so conscious discipline, really what it teaches you is to identify what brain state a child's in, survival state, um, emotional state, executive state. And depending on what state they're in, it teaches you to use seven skills of self-control to navigate that situation and be helpful to that child. Um, to be as helpful as possible to that child um, in that moment. And that's kind of the condensed version of what it is, right? And the seven skills super quickly, it's, it's seven skills and powers, but very quickly because I'm sure people will want to kind of know, okay, what are these seven skills? And just we need a, a little better idea of what I'm talking about. There's the skill of composure. Um, and that helps you, the skill, there's the skill of composure, which helps you tap into the power of perception. There is the skill of assertiveness, which is kind of, you know, saying no and setting limits, boundaries, which helps you tap into the power of attention, which you focus on to get more of. There's the skill of encouragement, which helps you tap into the power of unity. There's a skill of choices, which helps you tap into the power of free will. There's a skill of empathy, which helps you tap into the power of acceptance. There's a skill of positive intent to help you tap into the power of love. And there's a skill of consequences to help you tap into the power of intention. Now, all of these skills and, and kind of the thought process behind them, they have, there's a kind of a, there's, there's brain science behind it, mm-hmm. right? So for example, um, you know, kind of the brain science behind empathy and, and tapping into the power of acceptance, accepting the moment as it is, is that empathy integrates the brain for personal responsibility and self-control. Right. And uh, just like uh, encouragement, which taps into the skill of unity, 
uh, the, the kind of the brain science behind that is that encouragement, connection, and belonging primes the brain for willingness, engagement, and academic success, yeah. right? And so one other really important part about, about um, conscious discipline, this I feel like is almost kind of a, uh, almost like a pillar of conscious discipline that you can't, like if you're not, if you don't, is, 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 is getting a child's willingness, getting a child to willingness, right? And not forcing a child, but how do we see the child? How do we use our skills to help the child in the moment and, and prime them for willing so that they can achieve, they can meet whatever this kind of expectation that we have set on, that we've put on whether to, you know, whether to uh, learn something in class or to, um, or to accept resp responsibility and to apologize for something. You know, you don't want to force, you know, I talk all the time, you don't want to force an apology. Um, and but there's also a way that you can help a child get to a place of willingness so that they can willingly apologize. Right. Um, so I just kind of, one, another, I'm sorry, one more thing. Uh, conscious discipline also has, you know, sometimes you'll see like people have uh, conscious discipline structures, which are the uh, kind of items, things that are, that you might see in a room, like a we care center or uh, feeling buddies. Sometimes we'll see these structures, these kind of physical representations to kind of help children and quite honestly, the adults uh -huh. with teaching the skills and learning the skills. Um, but the understanding that having the structures in your classroom or using the structures doesn't mean you're doing conscious discipline. It's sure. more about the seven skills and powers for self-control and the structures are just a support, almost a visual representation, a something, an area environment where you can kind of practice these skills. I didn't realize, so those seven skills that you talked about, so those are the skills that the parents need to master in order to implement conscious discipline. It's not, right, it's the skill to pull out the power in the child, right, the skills that are linked to the power. So we can't teach the skills that we don't have. So yes, they're the skills that the adult needs to practice. And right. no one's going to be perfect at the skills. They're skills, right? Right. They're right. Skills. Yeah. And and in the process of the adult modeling, practicing and, and talking about these skills with children, yeah. they start to learn the skills. Yeah. They start to learn how to set boundaries. Because not because we're not only modeling it, but we're also, you know, we're also giving them the language, giving them language to do it. They learn the skill of composure because when they react and they have a big thing that like we are coming with our composure. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, and what's important, you know, connecting the skill with the power, is that, you know, the, the, the skill of composure is, is, is about being the person that you want to be. And the power of perception is, is about no one making you angry without your permission. And if you don't have, if you're not able to kind of, you practice your skill in that moment, then your skill of composure, then you're likely going to see the child as, instead of seeing the child with like positive intent, like they're trying their best, and, and, or you're going to see this child, like they're making me mad. They are 
you know, they are making me upset and they're making me have to punish them, right? Mm -hmm. And and again, no one can make you angry without your permission. And this is a Dr. Becky Bailey quotes here. You're gonna hear probably a few Dr. Becky Bailey quotes in this Conscious Discipline podcast um, that whoever you put in charge of your emotions, you put in charge of you. Oh, and I love so, that. And so it's, you know, consciousness, it's about us being able to, and when something, and I think you had a question, it was like, well, how does it work with, and, and it's honestly, it's, it's honestly becoming one of my favorite questions to answer. I think there was at first when I uh, um, heard the question of like, well, how do I know like conscious discipline like is working or like, I don't think or conscious discipline or conscious whatever is working. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, I used to like, I quite honestly, when I first kind of like hearing that there was a little bit of triggeredness in me mm-hmm. too, because I think a part of it is like, you don't, I think it was kind of my frustration of just like, you're not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm putting out all this content and yeah. you're still not getting it. <laughs> and really that's on me to kind of like, okay, they're doing the best that they can and understanding the best uh-huh. that they can with the knowledge, mm-hmm. upbringing and everything you know, they have. And like, and that, and people get into a, like a, a, you know, people who do the work and have been doing the work for a long time, like forget where they came from that you were always this conscious you weren't always this aware of the importance of emotions and all and all the and all those things so like i try to be super aware and just conscious yep of like you know everyone's trying like even the people who hop into the comment section and say you know and and advocate their darndest that the child should be hit or spanked for you know their emotion i still believe even those people you know those people are trying their best and they're you know they're saying what they believe and those people deserve empathy too (laughs) so once i kind of regulated myself and kind of like look this is not even like i really need to see people with pot like people are really trying their best it allowed me to actually answer the question without my triggered emotions <laughs> attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I've made a couple of videos since where people are like, oh, okay, that kind of made sense. But I had to kind of get out of my, I had to regulate, I had to use my skills to, to, to kind of regulate and keep composure, right? And really the answer that I give and I talk about and that I think is a big mindset shift is that conscious whatevering is not about it working on an other. Mm-hmm. It's about self-control. It's about working on you. Mm-hmm. It's not about working on another. It's about working on you. And the natural consequence of you working on you is that the people around you, the people, especially the people that you care for, will learn and grow from, will learn the skills that you're practicing, that you're modeling, 
Um, and, you know, you, you need the skills to teach the skills. So instead of when, you know, and I, so what do you mean? And usually when I ask, when I ask the question, what do you mean, you know, when someone says, ah, conscious discipline isn't working, usually the response that I kind of get is, is, well, when I did this, they did not do this. Mm-hmm. And that's about control. Yep. And, and even in, in empathy, right? And, and even, you know, you got to you first start like this journey, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, I would want empathy in these moments. And so I'm going to start using empathy so that I can get my child out the door quicker. Or I'm going to use empathy so that they can stop their emotion and I can get the things that I need to get done. And from that place, we can really provide genuine empathy because it's about all our ulterior motive and children catch on when you're just doing the thing, just saying the script because you want to do the next thing. Now, the reality is the next thing needs to happen. The next thing needs to happen. At some point, we are going to need to move forward. The thing, we are going to have to get in the car and do the thing at some point. That is true. And if we're just focused on that goal and just moving them to the next thing, Mm -hmm. that's likely going to slow your actual movement to the next thing because because they don't feel seen in that moment. And before we move to guidance, now this is, now see guide trust is something that I created. It's, yeah, sure, it's aligned with conscious discipline and everything, but before we we attempt to start guiding our children, we have to see them first and they have to feel seen. Like we want, you know, the other question is like, ah, like children's like not listening, they're not listening. And like, your question is like, how much are we listening to them and to listen to what they're communicating through their behavior? And neurotypical or not, believe them when they're communicating behavior. When I had, so being in the classroom, Montessori, as a Montessori teacher, um, I had, had had a bunch of children. I had this one child who was new, who was um, really, really, he was above average smart. And I, I was kind of, I was, I was, I was really blown away by this um, child's intelligence. Um, at least academically with like, he, he was three, he was like a young three, but he came in my classroom knowing how to read. And I, to be honest, I was a little skeptical until like, I was like, ah, I was like, I would think I was reading a book and he was like reading, he was like, you know how to read? Like, oh, you probably read this book Me- before. Or like memorize the, the line. Yeah, you probably like, yeah, you probably, and then like I pointed to, I pointed to, um, we had like a little weather poster. Uh-huh. And I pointed, I was like, what's that say? And he said, weather. And I'm like, that is, <laughs> but you, you can't even sign that, sell that out easily yeah. without the two, the T-H and the E-N. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, mind blown. And so a lot of times, like, these kids that are super smart, like, we're like, oh, like, we have these super high expectations of them. And then so, like, when they do struggle with, you know, not transitioning or following a, a direction or whatever, like, you're so smart. Why don't you, why can't you do this? You're smart. 
And that's not a helpful message at all. That's really a shaming message. And it does nothing to help. Especially with like, you should know this, right? We should all over ourselves all the time and should, like, it should be this way, never actually helps, right? Um, which again, it was a part of the conscious discipline power of acceptance of accepting the moment as it is, instead of saying it should be, it shouldn't be this way, right? So this child um, did struggle with a lot of things that the other nor the other children did not struggle with. Um, he uh, when we sat for circle time, this was I don't know if you saw the story. I'm not going to tell this whole story, but he got up and um, unless you ask. He got up in the middle of my circle time and walked in what he said, I don't want to be here anymore. And he walked away. <laughs> I think I did hear this part of you share that. I think I did. Yeah, yeah go ahead. That, keep sharing. That that was that was triggering for me, but I managed yeah. that in a healthy way. <laughs> um, you know, when water would go off in the classroom or when someone turned on the water, he would freak out and like run around the classroom and close and put his 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 hands over his ear. And like, I don't want to hear it. And he would like run it. And he actually like had a hurt his head one time because he was trying to run away from the sound. And he like dove underneath something and hit his head on the cubby. And he had a pretty good like goose egg because of, because of that. And so he was struggling with a lot. And so, and it was clear that he was, I was struggling like other children weren't. And so obviously we were, you know, having conversations with the parents and like, Hey, you know, what's going on? Like, what's, what are you seeing? Like, we want to be partners in this. And the parents were, um, you know, there was convert, there was, you know, my, there was convert from my assistant and other people like, Hey, I, I think he has such and such and such. Right. And that was kind of like a lot of people were like, Hey, I think he's, I think he's insert label here. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'm not even going to say what the label is at this point. Right. Um, and the parents were pretty like, hey, I don't want to label my child so early. He's still three, he's still young. Mm-hmm. And other people were like, but he, like, I've seen this before. And like, right. and I was, I'm kind of like, look, it, I kind of landed at, it doesn't like, one, he is really young. He's still, he is three. And so like, yeah, sure. He could be evaluated and we can go through that, that through the whole process, you know, but the parent has uh, kind of made a decision at this point that like, I, that they don't want labeling and they, they're pretty sensitive about that. And, you know, I think us pushing the issue would be further make uh, trigger uncomfortable feelings in the parents. And so I kind of landed as like, look, he is showing us behaviors and it doesn't matter what his label is. Like, let's just see his behaviors and help him, like see what's underneath and help him and help him kind of work through these things. And that's the approach that we, that's the approach that, well, really that I took and other people started to take around me and luckily I was the lead teacher. So I was like, I had the power that was within my power to kind of make the call of what would happen in the classroom. And he was successful and did, you know, really well in my class. And not only did he learn, you know, not only did he continue reading, but we also, he also learned uh, math and learned to do, uh, you know, three, uh, like add to three places and, you know, 
but all of that couldn't have happened if we didn't first just see what his behavior is communicating and then believe him and then start there just meeting him where he was at regardless of the label now end of the story years later i didn't you know try you know go off, goes off into kindergarten um and i actually didn't know this until i reconnected with the um parent uh years later that the child did get end up getting an autistic diagnosis mm-hmm. and so that you know so this child was autistic but i didn't need to know that at that time to help the child i just needed to accept that this child was trying their best and to help them now that's not to say i want to say caveat that's not to say that getting a diagnosis like isn't helpful like i do think it can be extremely helpful but to say if you're in like where you don't have a diagnosis diagnosis you don't have a diagnosis yet or you think on the line or borderline or whatever just believe the child believe that like there's if they're saying that they're that loud noises and especially consistently that like not loud noises or something you struggle with, believe them. Don't say like, you're fine. Get over it. Like you're not autistic. Like you you don't have sensory challenges. You weren't diagnosed. Like even regardless, just believe them. Yeah. And so that's I was going to say that. I think that I understand the parents not wanting a label, but thankfully they had you who knew what to do with or without a label. But do you think that there's some parents who having a label, who don't have access to such a great teacher like you, if parents, if, if like the label would help the parents have more empathy because they would the label know. Definitely does a hundred percent. I think in, you know, and, and anytime I tell like a story is one, don't take any story. And I'd say this with any story, but don't take as one story of one experience as like universal truth with 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 anything. Because I think even I think even with this particular family that I'm talking about, they were a pretty non-judgmental family. Like in general, like they were able to provide empathy without the yeah. diagnosis or not. And um, but but what you said is spot on. I've coached a lot of parents who have said the same thing. Like oh, like I used to be so frustrated by their behaviors and blah, 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 until I found out that they had ADHD or did I find out blah, blah, blah. Now I was able to actually, I understand a little bit more like where they're coming from and kind of like why it's happening. Um, So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying that diagnosis, like a diagnosis doesn't help. I think it can be very helpful for like, you have this conversation all the time. The cons that you're concerned about, I would say, the pros greatly outweigh the cons you're concerned about in terms of getting a diagnosis. And that's a whole nother kind <laughs> whole of conversation. conversation. I know. I get that question a lot, parents. Like, what's the point of a diagnosis? I'm like, you're, there's a lot of things that it could help. There's a lot of things that it doesn't help. It depends on how this is going to affect right now. Is this going to change anything like today about what you would do with your child or would it help you understand better? Then sure, getting evaluated to see their functional abilities is more important than getting a um, diagnosis code for right. paper, right? Um, yeah. So I want to ask then for parents, so you brought up a really good example earlier that this is the question, this has happened to me and then parents have asked me like what I should do in those times. So when you you brought up the example of like 
your child is having a meltdown and you're trying to get them to the car, but you need to see them first and have empathy with why they're having their why why they're having those behaviors. But the the question that a lot of parents always ask is that like like I've been in the thick of it too, and my daughter has a like 45 minute meltdown. Like I am to the point where now I have to just build in time for her meltdowns on school days because I know she's gonna have one, and that's the only yeah. thing that regulates me when I know I'm not on. I'm not going to be late because that's my anxiety trigger. But yeah. some parents are like, well, I have two kids or like I don't have wiggle room. Um, how can I they're, they're basically asking. I feel like I'm interpreting a lot of parents are asking for permission, like a permission slip to like a few times have to move them to the car to like force them through the morning routine to get to where they need to be. Otherwise, they would be late to work every day or like never get out of the house so how do yeah. you like balance wanting to practice conscious discipline but also like go through the daily things that sometimes you have to move your child through a routine yeah so i always say it's about meeting it's about meeting both the needs the needs of the adults and the needs of the child and that both needs are very important um very very important because you know, if if our needs aren't met, then we're going to, we're not going to be very helpful. We're probably, we're going to be in a state where we're not going to be very helpful in these situations. We're going to be trying to provide fake empathy and all this. And so like, even you, like that 45 minutes uh, uh, ahead of time, kind of building that into your schedule of that, that transition time, because you know, it, takes her longer to transition. She may not be just as flexible in these in these moments, right? And so you've identified that, you've identified and identified that's kind of something that she needs. And you also need it to not be late every day and you need it to not have that pressure in that moment because I know like you can, in that moment where you're, you know, like, okay, I'm gonna be regulated and go in and try to do the things and then you look at the clock and you're like, ah, oh, we're five minutes late. And then look 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. And every time you look at the clock, you're, you're, you know, you're getting triggered right back down to the lower centers of your brain. Mm -hmm. And you're not really helpful. And then eventually you're just like, just get in the car. <laughs> and, yes. and, and, well, and that's, and that's what ends up happening. And so, you know, there's not a, there, there are going to be some times and some moments where, yeah, maybe you're you are empathizing while you are moving to the next to the next thing where you're, you're picking them up, and you're like, yeah, I know this is like really difficult. You're playing with your Legos. You want to stay with mom, and ah, I know you don't want to go to school today, and uh, things are different, and so and, and even you can still be seeing, you know, your child in those moments, and maybe. And maybe your child in those moments don't need any words and maybe they just need to feel and they just need to express and you're just holding space for that and allowing them to, you know, what that moment call calls for, you know, and that's the thing. It's, I think kind of even kind of even along the realm of talking about general parenting is like ah there's something like we moving away from something else i think it's hard when you're moving away from a kind of a punitive um control based fear-based 
kind of parenting and and maybe you're like oh i've never done that but you've been conditioned into it your entire life or at least your entire childhood um and so moving away from that is really difficult because so a lot of times we ask like we ask the wrong questions or like the way we're thinking about like what's the consequence for this right Mm -hmm. and and how can i stop this and really what conscious discipline is encouraging you to do is to see the moment accept it as it is you know you can't change and tap into your skills of self-control and and in in seeing the moment to choose which skill is most appropriate is most needed a combination of skills is most needed in this moment and so in this moment where it's your, you got to go, you know, I think I would say composure would be helpful. Empathy would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Positive intent would be helpful. Assertiveness would be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Choices would be helpful. Now, all of those things may not be helpful to your child in that moment. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's where the challenge, that's where the challenge and the, in the growth and the, you know, it's about you put these tools in your tool belt, you see the moment, and then you pull out a tool. Now, in terms of like a practical thing to get really down, kind of like, okay, but what do I do? Like, what yes, do I that's, physically that's do? That's always what the <laughs> right, always right, what right, parents right. want to know. Yeah. Right. Um, so one, if it's something that's, if it's, if it's, an, if it happens once, one, largely we, we have a tendency to to uh, kind of exaggerate in our minds the the consequences of being five minutes, 10 minutes late. And, you know, like the, the us being five minutes late, like I've never, like it's, it's rare when us being five minutes late really is going to make a huge difference. And like, can we, what is in our power? Can we make a phone call and say like, hey, this is, this morning is a little bit rougher than usual. Right. Like something such happened, an accident happened or whatever. Yeah. We're going to be like 10 minutes, 15 minutes late. For the most part, most, like in most jobs and most people's jobs, kind of like you can do that. And hopefully your job is also kind of allowing for that, but that's a little, that's a different conversation. And if, you know, that's something that's kind of new that's popped up. If it's something that's reoccurring and you know that transitions are just tough and it takes time, then try, like you, like you're doing, like try to build that time into it. You know, we so much will be like, ah, like children, like their time management, like they don't know, like they're not doing things in a timely manner and like they're not on my schedule and, and, and they're not getting with the program. And I encourage us to look at, okay, well, how's our time management, right? Because if we are triggered because, you know, we are, you know, it takes, if it consistently takes 30 minutes to transition and do whatever has to be done to get out the door. Mm-hmm. And you know that, then why are we, only allowing 10 minutes or five minutes. And is it because of, 
maybe our time management sometimes, right? And, you know, we can't teach the skills that we we don't have, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think there's also times where like, even if we build in, it takes longer, or if there's times where we weren't expecting it to happen, because the thing with neurodivergent kids is that like, to us, it's like out of nowhere, but I always put that in quotes because I tell parents, there's a lot of underlying dysregulation that could be like lingering for days and just at that moment decided to come up, but it could be like, in the store or like on in the park something to do with the transition that is hard that you have to move them through that they may not have like let's say we're at the uh, on this particular day like we couldn't build it in but what you're saying is that um we can still move them through it while empathizing while showing compassion while ha keeping our composure and then the other piece that i add to it is it's usually unpleasant for at least me and my daughter when I have to physically move her because she's thrashing around. I'm not, I, I can't really carry that much weight. It looks really funny because she's almost as tall as me. I'm very petite and short. So it's really hard for me to manage her. So I have to be as assertive as I can, but also move her through it. But then I always, 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 always have to come back to that later and, ex and explain to her what happened and reflect with her. Um, so that's what I tell parents. But the last part of it that I would love your input or to hear what you say is, and that parents ask me then is when their child is non-speaking or does not have words yet, or maybe they have um, a communication challenge or something that makes it hard. What Have you ever worked with parents with that? Or, or how yeah. do you advise, how does it look when you have yeah. a child who doesn't really have all of their words yet or is non-speaking? Yeah. You start because, you know, it's, you know, when we say developmentally appropriate, it's not age appropriate. It is where a child is at and their skill level and their development in every child is in a different place and not just like further or along, but just in different domains of their development too. And so it is, you know, important for us to see where the child is at and what skills they do have, right? Because not all non-speaking children have the same amount of skills, right? Some may have, you know, they may have um, AAC or something like that. Like, and so start with the skills that they do have, that they are able to use, and, and just 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 start there with the communication. If they're, they can point, use visuals, right? Use a, in any kind of uh, assistive uh, technology that you can get access to. I know not everyone has the resources, not everyone can get access to that stuff, but really it's about just starting, just starting with where they're at, the skills that they have in, in using their, if, if pointing is the skill that they have, then that's the skill that we want to use. We want to help them use, right? If they can sign, then that's the skill that we want to use. Um, and we can we can build other skills, you know, but we want to start with the skills that they currently have, meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, and one more moment on one more thing about like that just kind of uh, just the transitions is that it's not like the it's not transitions are, are difficult for people. They're difficult for people. It's not this isn't just like a child thing. Like, think about the transition that we went through from normal world to COVID world, right? Like, think about all of that stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do to kind of reduce the friction in the transition. 
you know, with, you know, with visuals, with, with timers, with, 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 with practicing routines, with, you know, choices, there's lots of things that we can do to kind of reduce the friction, but it's the expectation should not, you know, the expectation, avoid the expectation being perfection or everything going smoothly. It's that acceptance part. It's the acceptance part of the conscious discipline, right? You're accepting the moment. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, like reflect on, and I'm, I'm going to put this super broadly because I feel confident putting this really broadly. I'm sure it's not going to apply to every single person, but it's going to apply to a lot of people that like, think about when you're transitioning to COVID, like to, to the COVID world, right? And how of how short of that transition was for a lot of people. And we didn't have a lot of, we didn't understand a lot of what was going on or what to expect. And we had a lot of feelings because we had, were uncertain about things and, you know, we can't see our, our loved ones and we do, we have to do these new things. And like, that's hard, that was hard for a lot of people, even, you know, whether you were complying or not, like it was difficult for a lot of people, for most people. And, it, you know, it didn't put us at our best. Right. And there are still, and I don't know when you're listening to this, but right now today, I've been, I do coaching sessions every day. I, I, matter of fact, I have to get off pretty soon to do another coaching session. And I haven't heard a, I haven't, there hasn't been a single coaching session in the past month where COVID hasn't been brought up as something that's impacted, you know, the lives of people. So that inconsistency is going to add more like, dysregulation and just it's going to make it it's going to make it more challenging and that is like that is and so give yourself give yourself grace in this give your children grace in this and recognize that it's not about perfection it's not about being a perfectionist it's about being an improvementist the goal isn't to be perfect every day the goal is to improve a little every day that's my favorite Mr. Chaz quote. I need that on a mug. I need it on a t-shirt. I need it on a hat. We need to get that. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we need 2022. That. Maybe I'll do some. Oh, merch. I love that. What <laughs> a good way to cap off this episode. I feel like I could talk to you for so long, but we got a lot out there and I hope that this episode helps at least one, if not a million more parents out there to at least reflect on how you can be more conscious in the way that you have your relationship with your child. Yes. Can I just, for those who want to learn about like conscious discipline in, in, and especially if from a like parenting perspective, um, there's this book and to tell it, you know, like this is usually people come on like this podcast and they sell their own stuff, yeah. right? I'm not <laughs> going to sell you anything of my, I have no affiliate link. This is not an ad. This is just simply me just trying to provide more information that's helpful for you on your journey. Um, easy to love, difficult to discipline is the conscious discipline kind of parenting book cool. that really breaks down a lot of that stuff. So definitely it's on Audible too. Okay. Um, I'll add so- that to the show notes. Would you recommend that as a first book for people who are just starting with conscious discipline? Uh, yes, especially as a parent. For parents. Yes, for parents. Yes. Okay, perfect. I will add that to the to the show notes. And then I'll also add where they could find you on Instagram and TikTok and um, your community on Patreon. 
Yes. Yes. So I guess I guess I will sell myself. Yes, please do it because <laughs> you you need to let parents know how they can work with you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I have my own podcast, Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting Teaching Podcast, where I introduce you to the resources that can help you on your uh parenting journey, um, or leadership or teaching journey. And uh, like Laura said, she was on it twice. So you can even go there to hear a little more of her. Um, that's where you want to start. But uh, there are, I bring people on and just really to help people get a variety of like perspectives um, and to, to add to your kind of community of resources, your ecosystem um, on your journey of growth. So there's that. And then if you want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, you can get access to that to www.patreon.com forward slash Mr. Chaz. And you can work with me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for enlightening us today, everyone. Please go follow him and learn more from him. And I'm going to be downloading that book on Audible like right after this. So thank you so much, Mr. Chaz. Everyone out there, I will see you next week. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.